This is Kim Potter as she's convicted of multiple manslaughter counts for killing Dante Wright. Remember this case? Very sad case up in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota. She shot him by accident and was promptly arrested. Now, she's been a cop for a long time, 26 years. Uh, we're going to show you what happened in a moment, but uh, she was arrested right after this. Everybody knew it was an accident. Everybody saw it. She admitted it right away. Still a pretty serious thing. This is, uh, this is what happened last April. I didn't even hear the gun go off, but she shot him. He drove away. He died a short time later, and she knew right away that she had made a terrible mistake. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Kim, that guy was trying to take off with me in the car. He was trying to take off with that guy in the car, uh, but the media portrayed him as a saint, even though he had a violent criminal history and in multiple videos, we saw he was fond of guns and his weed and his alcohol and talking about all the all the bad things he wanted to do. He should be alive. That was a mistake. But I don't think Kim Potter should be in jail right now. And she is in jail right now. The judge ordered her into custody immediately. This did not have to be like this. All right. Now, number one, she never committed the crime before. She's not a flight risk. But. This is what it is. White cop killed a black kid. And you can't let that person go. No way. After a conviction, even though a judge has a lot of discretion, didn't seem necessary to me at all. The judge, by the way, uh, I think there's something a little bit off about this judge. Members of the jury, um, when you first came into the courtroom, I told you that jurors are the heroes of our judicial system. Well, the 12 of you are our heroes in this case. You were willing to sacrifice much because so, you believed in our justice. She's talking to them like they're in third grade. Something is bizarre. I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a judge. It seems like they have the discretion to keep a person like this. Look, sentencing is going to come later. I don't think she had to spend tonight in jail. Was it that necessary? Is she a threat to the community? These are the kinds of things judges are supposed to evaluate, not mob rule. And the mob, they knew about her. They even knew where she lived. I wonder if that played a role in her decision. All right, got to talk about something else. Uh, this silly conversation America is having over race really epitomized when Congressman Jamal Bowman showed up on CNN and uh, questioned, well, he called Joe Manchin a racist for objecting to Build Back Better. I want to play you it because there's an interesting moment from about 15 years ago involving Kanye West. This reminds me of. I think you'll, uh, I think you'll like it. First, this is Congressman Jamal Bowman. 
once again, it's an example of Joe Manchin as a white man showing that he doesn't care about black people. He doesn't care about Latinos. He doesn't care about immigrants. He doesn't care about women. And he doesn't care about the poor. The same way black and brown people and women were kept out of the New Deal, Joe Manchin is trying to keep people out of this bill today. And it's unacceptable. And we need to do everything in our power to make sure it passes. It's about the worst thing you can call somebody a racist. And since they're calling everybody a racist, actually, it's not that serious anymore. This is ridiculous speech. This is a ridiculous thing to say. But the way they treated him after he said it, hmm, yes, tell us more, Congressman. They even invited them back the next day. Do you care to elaborate on your thoughts, Congressman? We're, yes, hmm, indeed. Oh, yes, fascinating, Congressman. Well, in 2005 or six, I think it was, in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, uh, they had a big telethon for those affected by Katrina. There's Kanye West and Mike Myers, a great big telethon. Listen to what Kanye has to say about President Bush. And I'm sorry, I think this is all the way back. Yeah, 2005. Take a look. The way America is set up to help the um, uh, the poor, the, the black people, the uh the less well off as slow as possible. I mean, this is Red Cross is doing everything they can. We, we already realize a lot of the people that could help are at war right now fighting another way. And they, they, they've given them permission to go down and shoot us. And subtle, but in even many ways more profoundly devastating is the lasting damage to the survivors' will to rebuild and remain in the area. The destruction of the spirit of the people of southern Louisiana and Mississippi may end up being the most tragic loss of all. George Bush doesn't care about black people. <laughs> and everybody freaked out. They went to a commercial break. There was a national conversation about what he said. George Bush was horrified, understandably so, and so many Really, across the media spectrum, liberals were saying, Kanye, cool it. What the heck is wrong with you? But what a difference, huh? What is it, 15, 16 years later? Uh, that was completely outrageous. Shut it down, out of bounds. You can't say that. Ridiculous. And now today, yes, Congressman Bowman, tell us more, Congressman Bowman. Just a very strange moment this country is having. It's the eve of Christmas Eve. And I was, uh, well, think about this. Imagine if you worked for a company and uh, you were mid-management or maybe a junior employee, assembly line, who knows, somewhere in that company. You never met the CEO, but somebody came up to you someday and they told you that the CEO knows exactly who you are. You're like, really? Yep. And they know everything about you. Really? Yep. Everything you've ever done. Really? Yep. And the CEO loves you. Really? They want to have lunch with you. Yeah. Dinner. They want to do everything for you. They want to promote you. They want to be close to you. They want to talk to you. They want, they want it all for you. What's the catch? It's no catch. Actually, it's much better than what I just described. It's not the boss of the company. It's the boss of the universe. It's God and his son, Jesus. That's what he wants. It's available to each and every one of us. It's funny. If the boss wants us to do something, our world boss, we drop everything. We make it happen. Uh, but the boss of the universe, mm -mm, it's got to be done on our terms. That was my approach for a long, long time. Uh, I think it was 2012 or 2013, a nice person gave me a Bible. It was the Charles Stanley Life Principles Bible. And you know what my reaction was when they gave me this precious gift? 
when did you become such a church lady? I don't need this. What are you talking about? It's kind of, I, was, I was actually offended by it. A Bible? What are you telling me about my life? I know what's going on. And I put it on the shelf. And it stayed there for, I don't know, three years, four years. Out of curiosity one day, I don't know enough about it, started going through it. And everything started to change. I mean everything. And when you start talking to the master of the universe, you want to do everything you can to, to please the master of the universe. Uh, and all of those rules that turn me off, all the things that, ah, uh, I want to have a good time, that's, that's not, no. Those rules are actually to in, maximize our, our joy, maximize our happiness, and protect us, and protect us. I am fairly new in my faith journey, but I, I highly recommend it. I really do. I'm not a minister. I'm not a preacher. I'm not trained in any of this. I'm just reading the Bible. And it's been very, very exciting. And if you're in a position in your life where you haven't opened the book, oh, and by the way, one thing about the Charles Stanley Life Principles Bible, it's a traditional Bible, but it has little notes and footnotes and uh, essays that help break down some of the language that can be rather complicated at times and a little bit mysterious. Um, a lot of folks say, I shouldn't talk like this, and I understand. And a lot of folks who believe don't want to talk like this because, well, we might offend somebody. Oh, maybe somebody out there knows something about me, and oh, what a hypocrite. And look, there are a million reasons to not talk like this. Uh, but if you know what I'm talking about, you know <laughs> that there's really no debate. So I encourage you. I think we should encourage each other. Uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. We're almost there. By the way, I have a special wish for Joe Biden. Um, now, Joe Biden, well, one thing he said he would do, unify this country. Clearly, that hasn't happened. He hasn't tried. Now, I've noticed he's bragged a bit about his faith. He's bragged about how well he knows the Pope. Uh, he brags about going to church. But beyond that, I haven't seen too much, quite frankly, that would be of value to believers in this country. My wish for Joe is that he get closer to God and his entire family. And I have one more wish. Joe, you talked about uniting this country. Mr. President, here's a suggestion. We're all off. We're all going to be doing our own thing for the next couple of weeks, 10 days or so. Wouldn't it be amazing if you visited those prisoners in Washington, D.C., held over January 6th. I know you have obviously your differences with these folks and they have their differences with you, but I think that would go a very long way in unifying this country, in lowering the temperature. You might, you might annoy your base, but with all due respect, sir, you don't need them. And quite frankly, let's face it, you're gonna be a one-term president. I say that respectfully, there's no way. There's just no way. You know that. Everybody knows that. So what do you say, huh? I wish you the very, very best. Good luck, sir. I hope you live up to your promises to this country and maybe even to yourself. We'll be right back. All I can say... Is, is that, that the, the fake, fake news? news just doesn't get it, do they? <laughs> I can't say it this week. You know why? The fake news, just a little bit, they get it. 
they get it this week. We're seeing some genuinely critical, interesting coverage about Joe Biden that's calling him out for some major problems. First off, the big promise earlier this week that it's going to be 500 million test kits, enough for uh, every American and his friend. I'm announcing today the federal government will purchase one half billion, that's not million, billion with a B, additional at-home rapid test with delivery starting in January. We'll be getting these tests to Americans for free. All right, January is basically next week. Uh, thing is, none of this is true. I mean, look, I wouldn't make an announcement like this if I had not actually gotten the 500 million test kits, and he hasn't. The New York Times reports as follows. Biden promised 500 million tests, but Americans will have to wait. The story goes on to say Biden's administration has not yet signed a contract to buy the tests, and the website to order them will not be up until January. Next, please. Experts say it is unlikely that the 500 million tests will be available all at once. Experts expect that they will be distributed over two to three months. And finally, from an expert, Joe Biden, uh, that's not a plan. It's a hope. That's from Jennifer Nuzzo, an epidemiologist at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Joe has always been talking a big game about testing, blaming Trump and saying that he would come to the rescue. Our national strategy puts on uh, us on a war footing to aggressively speed up our COVID-19 response, especially on vaccines and testing and reopening our schools. We continue to work on making at-home testing available. We're going to deploy things like testing to expand detection of the virus. I'm taking steps tonight to make testing more available, more affordable, and more convenient. The third piece of this is making free at-home tests more available than ever before and having them covered by your private insurance plans. One of the other things that we know that has to be done is more testing. Because Omicron spreads easily, especially among the unvaccinated, it's critically important that we know who's infected. That means we need more testing. We need more, we're planning for more, we're taking steps, we will do this, we're gonna. It's always the same, it's always the same. And now the New York Times actually saying, uh-uh, no. It just sounds good, but the fine print, it's not there. Oh, here's something else. Omicron, for all the media hype, looks like looks like it may not be as bad as, uh, well, they suggest. Imagine that. South African study finds Omicron may be significantly less severe. Now, we've been reporting this, but it's very easy to miss in all the hysteria about Omicron. The study found that people with Omicron infections had an 80% lower chance of being hospitalized compared to other COVID-19 cases. And remember, they say, not true, but they say, Omicron, nobody, nobody saw this coming. I saw Fauci talking about this for a long time, but no, no, took us all by, by surprise. Why is the president saying about this new variant, nobody saw it coming, nobody in the world, if that's not true? Well, first I would say that, um, uh, Nobody saw, knew that there would be the number of different variants. Nobody knew exactly how transmissible they would be. We, of course, knew that there would be additional variants at some point coming. We didn't know what they would look like. 
just comes off like a fourth grade teacher talking to fourth grade kids. Remember when Donald Trump was handling those, those COVID press conferences every single day? I know not everybody liked them. Even those who liked him didn't necessarily like them. I thought it was a heck of a lot better than this. Also from the New York Times, you know, when they start picking on this administration, <laughs> they're in trouble. Air apparent or afterthought, the frustrations of Kamala Harris. This is a full-on hit job. I mean, they couch it kind of nicely, but no, this is, uh, this is bad stuff. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, when they joined forces, it was doomed from the outset, but they said it was going to be a real partnership. I talked to you about how Barack and I worked it, and he asked me, is there anything that, uh, that I wanted yeah. once I agreed to do it? And I said, yeah, I do. I'd like to be able to uh, be the last person in the room on every important decision you make. Yeah. And that's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to be the last because I'm confident you will tell me the truth about what you think, even if you disagree. Mm -hmm. And I'm confident that uh, your judgment is really good. Actually, take a look at Kamala. You can see it right there. She's got, she has reservations. She doesn't like how this is playing out. <laughs> She's being talked to by Joe Biden. And we all know how she treated Joe during the campaign. Uh, I think she knew from the get-go this was going to be uh, not good. And now that they've been a team for how long has it been? Uh, almost a year. Well, let's go to the New York Times of all places. Uh, number one, first off, it says as follows. Shall we? Miss Harris spent much of her four years in the Senate running for the presidency. Ah, real quick. This is a small point. But yeah, she was only there for four years. She spent two years of her four years in the Senate running for president. She has zero experience, zero skill. What's next, please? And we'll go through them. Mr. Duran, ah, a former aide, said he quit after five months on the job when Miss Harris declined to attend a briefing before a news conference, but then berated a staff member to the point of tears when she felt unprepared. Wow. Next. She was tasked with that job. It doesn't look like she's very interested in this. So we are going to move on to other folks that work on this issue. Now, this is from a Democrat congressman in Texas. He's talking about immigration. And as we all know, she didn't go to the border. She went to El Paso. That doesn't count. And when he calls her office, they blow him off. So he calls Joe's team. That's the way she rolls. Very, very odd. What's next, please? Uh, there is a double standard. It's sadly alive and well, Mrs. Clinton said in an interview. Oh, Hillary. A lot of what is being used to judge her just like it was to judge me or the women who ran in 2020 or everybody else is really colored by that. Yeah, the sex card, the race card. Next, please. Ms. Karen Bass, a congresswoman from California, pointed out, and to be the first woman vice president, to be the first black Asian woman, that's a triple. So he knew it was going to be rough, but it has been relentless and I think extremely unfair. Sorry, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying the race card. I'm not buying the woman card. I'm buying three different cards, all right? This is why she's getting bad press. This is why she's suffering right now. Number one, she has no skill. She has no skills, no talents for this particular job. We said it earlier. She was only in the U.S. Senate for four years. Half of that time spent running for president. Her big thing, quite frankly, was being condescending during hearings. That's not a skill. 
she has a major attitude. <laughs> Lots of people have seen that. I mean, she gets really, really defensive, really, really fast. This is not how a professional politician operates. And finally, I'm sorry, she's just weird. I mean, the laughing uh, inappropriately sustained at odd times. It's just, it's not very vice presidential. All right. But she believes it's about her skin color and her gender. Back to the New York Times story, if you don't mind. Ms. Harris has privately told her allies that the news coverage of her would be different if she were any of her 48 predecessors, all of whom were white and male. Really? Well, if she researched for two minutes any of those 48-year-old white male people, I know the worst thing you can be these days, a white male, she would find that they almost all suffered in their own way. LBJ, Lyndon Baines Johnson, you can look it up. He hated the vice presidency. I mean, the Kennedys were out to humiliate him. Everybody in Washington knew it. He had so much talent, though, unlike you, Kamala, so much skill, the master of the Senate. Frustration kind of more or less goes with the job. Spiro Agnew. Nobody remembers that guy, do they? Uh, Richard Nixon's vice president. He had no experience. He was two years governor of Maryland, I think. And they put him in there. It was a totally weird pick. He had his problems. Nixon wanted to get rid of him every single day. He ultimately was caught in some sort of bribery scandal, and he had to resign. Bad news. But Kamala, really, if you think you've got it tough, you got to look up Dan Quayle, what that guy went through. Now, Dan Quayle definitely got a bum rap. All right. He spelled potato incorrectly once, and it was a it made him into a national laughing stock because of the New York Times and the fake news. Guy was brilliant, by the way. Very, very smart. Uh, a gifted politician became vice president at 42. Uh, <laughs> he knew a lot. He had the experience, um, but he got reamed every single day, every single day. So Kamala, I mean, Madam Vice President, you're not alone here. OK, it is a tough job. And I know there are people out there saying, well, she never would have been picked if she weren't a woman and she weren't black. That's probably true. That is true. Joe Biden even said so. He wanted a black woman, a woman of color. And he got one. That's a bad thing to do, I think, to box yourself in like that. But other vice presidential nominees have been picked for pretty silly reasons before. Even white men, like John Edwards. John Edwards... <laughs> had two years in the Senate and was picked because he was a swell looking guy. Pretty much that's it. Uh, and that didn't work out very well for anybody. So now that you got the big job, Madam Vice President, just like Peggy Noonan said, it's time to grow up. All right. Take hold of this thing. Find something you're good at. Roll up your sleeves. If you're not good at it, get help. Just focus. And um, all right. Stop complaining too. my advice. All right, we're going to go to Portland, Oregon. They say that the FBI infiltrated some of these Black Lives Matter mobs and protests that were happening. Well, that's good. That's a very good thing. Of course, our left-wing government is going crazy about this. And what impact does this have potentially on January 6th when we come back? So out in Portland last year, Portland, Oregon, 
all hell broke loose. We saw the chaos. This is actually a good thing, though. As they were trying to destroy federal property, that big courthouse, the federal government was fighting back. Uh, we had FBI agents and other federal agents reportedly infiltrated that crazy mob to try to defuse the violence, head it off. Uh, let's go to the New York Times reporting. Yeah, take a look. They deployed surveillance teams. And inside the story, it says as follows. The FBI set up extensive surveillance operations inside Portland's protest movement, tailing vandalism suspects and furtively videotaping inside one of the country's most active domestic protest movements. Also, federal teams were initially dispatched in July of 20 to protect the city's federal courthouse, but the FBI role quickly widened after activists turned their attention away from the courthouse with some targeting storefronts or local institutions. This is what you want the government to do. The breadth of FBI involvement became a point of concern, though, for some within the Bureau and the Justice Department who worried that it could undermine the First Amendment right to protest against the government. What, and break stuff? These are all insidious tactics that chill First Amendment expression and erode trust with local officials, said Bobin Singh, executive director of the Oregon Justice Resource Center. He called the government's operations an alarming misuse of resources. Well, they're alarmed because President Trump was president at the time. But this is what you want law enforcement doing, trying to head off violence. Now, come January 6th, I have a concern, and a lot of folks do, that there were federal agents in the crowd but they weren't there to defuse the situation or coordinate a better response with law enforcement, local law enforcement, state law enforcement, et cetera. Maybe they were instigating things. It's a question. We're just wondering, like, who was this guy? All right. Some said Antifa. Don't say Antifa. You could. All right. Well, what if he's a federal agent? What's going on with that thing? He looks sophisticated. Why would he break the window and walk away? These are the questions that we would like a January 6th committee to look into. And who was this guy? Just an individual there looking off in the opposite direction uh, from everybody else. Now, the thing about him is he also showed up right next to where Ashley Babbitt was killed, um, just standing there. And his face has not turned up on any of those FBI uh, most wanted lists, watch lists, that kind of thing that you see all over Twitter. The FBI is looking for this, that, and the other thing. And finally, um, Ashley Babbitt. Let's talk about her. Merry Christmas. Yeah, she was in Iraq. Oh, by the way, Merry Christmas, everybody. There she is next to a four-star general in Iraq, an American hero in my book for her service. And... Uh, She's been so unfairly maligned. I don't, I never met her, don't know her. Got to know the family just a little bit. Um, the lies that have been told about this woman and the lack of concern about what happened to her. Now let's go to January 6th. There she is, smiling and happy. Short time later, she was marching to the Capitol peacefully with a big smile on, the, on her face, enjoying herself. And a short time later, she would be shot to death, even though she had no weapon. And for reasons no one can understand, three cops walked away when they possibly could have saved her life. Take a look at this footage, please. Take it full. Uh, those three officers are in the middle of a tense situation. But it's kind of a standoff, status quo, if you will. Uh, 
nothing is really happening. It's loud. It's a little bit chaotic, but no one's trying to break down that door. And people are yelling and screaming. And there they go. They walk off. They weren't being attacked. They weren't being punched. They weren't being hit. They just walk away. And look at these guys, including our friend who was outside the Capitol, now inside the Capitol, start kicking that door. And the cops are still just looking. And now you'll see Lieutenant Bird's gun. Do you hear a warning? We've listened to this a hundred times. There's no warning. Why didn't the cops grab Ashley Babbitt before he climbed up on that window or was pushed up on that window? And there she is. She'll die shortly after being shot. What's up with that? Why isn't every member of the January 6th committee asking questions about the woman who was murdered at their place of work? Give, Send, Go is a great opportunity to support the Babbitt family. Now, they're contemplating a lawsuit against the government. Now, to do that, it's not easy. You've got to have a long investigation. It takes a hell of a lot of resources. They're trying to raise money, and they're making, they're, they're getting there. But if you want to help, there's a way to do it, and it's right there. All right, coming up, in the middle of this uh, mob, you see a lot of cops in that tunnel. There's a woman named Victoria White, and she's getting beaten up right now at that moment. She is our guest. Next. That's Victoria White. She's from Rochester, Minnesota. She was there on January 6th. We have evidence that she was trying to stop the violence, but right now she's facing a slew of charges. She already spent four months in jail. She pleaded not guilty, but watch this. She tried to stop these guys from breaking stuff. She's telling them to go away. Stop breaking the glass. Now, a few moments later, it's clear to me in this video, she's getting beaten up. Uh, She's in the circle. We have it circled here on the right. I hope you see it. It's hard to make her out, but we verify that it's her. You see the white, the cop with the white shirt. You'll see her red sleeve. She is obviously being beaten up. Uh, I've looked at this a bunch of times. It looks like she's being beaten up to me. Uh, But she joins us right now. We'd like to know more about what happened and uh, what she's going through now. Victoria White, welcome. And also your attorney, Joseph McBride. Uh, Welcome back to Newsmax. Victoria, first to you. uh, Welcome. And how are you? I'm okay. Well, good to hear. Um, Look, what happened in the tunnel? Uh, it, it's how did you get in the tunnel, first of all, because you're 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 at one point you're outside, you're trying to stop those guys from breaking the gla- glass. And then a, a little while later, you're you're surrounded by cops and there's one who seems to be beating you up with a baton. How did you get in that tunnel? I was pushed in there. Um, the crowd was so packed. 
if once you're in there, you, you, you can't get out. You could barely breathe. It was that tight in, in that area. Now, I've heard a lot from the cops, what they went through, what they were saying uh, to the cops, uh, all the comments they were hearing. What were you hearing from the cops? Well, it looks to me, again, like you were being beaten with a baton. Can you confirm that? That was you with the red sleeve? Yes. And what, that was me. Why yep. were they beating you up, and what were they saying to you? Um, I, I'm a survivor of domestic abuse for, for 10 years, and I, I was, after the first hit with the metal baton, um, my mind kind of just went in, like, um, protection mode, I guess, um, because I don't remember what they were saying. Um, I just remember being hit. And after watching the video, um, and uh, it brought back a, a, a lot of traumatic um, things that I, I had thought I had worked through. And um, yeah, um, I'm still doing. I want to bring in your lawyer in a moment, but two more questions. We have a picture of you when you're kind of being led out of the area. It looks, if you look closely, I think we can see some blood on your upper forehead. Let's put that picture up on the screen, please. And uh, you're being led out of there. Are you still kind of in a in a daze? Are you still? You, you, do you remember this moment? Um, I do, and um, I was in a daze. And at the moment, I had no idea that I was bleeding from my head until later. Um, and they didn't say I did anything wrong. They didn't say I was under arrest, nothing. They just had my hands behind my back and um, took me into the Capitol. Two more, I didn't two more. go in willing, willingly. I didn't even know that that was the Capitol. Uh, like the inside. I, I just thought it went up another level. Those guys who were breaking the glass, correct me if I'm wrong, but I looked at it. I thought I heard you. You were trying to stop them. Any idea who those guys were? Oh, I have no idea. I, I just heard everyone saying Antifa, Antifa, but no one was stopping them. Um, so I just, just tried to stop them myself. So your attorney, uh, Joseph McBride, is with us. Thanks again, Mr. McBride. Uh, she's pleaded not guilty. Uh, we have evidence potentially of police misconduct. Uh, some people are suing the government or thinking about it. Where do things stand right now? Do you think you might have a case against the government? Thank you, Greg, uh, for continuing to cover this important uh, January 6th related information. Uh, yes, we certainly have a case for police brutality against the uh, against the officer in his uh, police department. Mrs. White, uh, Ms. White was forced into uh, that entrance. She did nothing wrong. Her hands were down. The only time she put her hands up was in a defensive posture because she was being pulverized. Watch that video. It is undisputable evidence. She was hit 35 times in under five minutes and then punched in the face by the officer five additional times. This is police brutality of the highest caliber. Roseanne Boyland, who this show knows well and the world knows well at this point, died literally feet away, a few feet away from Ms. White while she was in there. Ashley Babbitt was shot 
at point blank range on the other side of the Capitol, those two women are unable to speak up for themselves because they are no longer with us. By some miracle of God, Victoria White survived and she is going to tell her tale. She is going to have her day in court and the officer that brutally beat her will be held accountable. What is that officer's name? What do we know about him? We don't, we don't know who his name, what his name is at this point. This is an active investigation on our end. The, uh, the FOIA request, the request for information from the uh, D.C. Police Department, from the Capitol Police, they largely go unanswered. They're unwilling to share information with us. They are protecting their own because they know that what took place is wrong. Yeah. Again, good and bad actors on both sides that day. Ms. White, clearly a good actor. This officer, clearly a horrible one. Uh, Ms. White, uh, can you tell us why you went to Washington on January 6th? Um, I thought it would just be um, another Trump rally, plus we would be able to let our voices be heard. Um, that, you know, the election was stolen. Now, you do know, and I happen to know something about you, uh, uh, forgive me for bringing this up, but I think it's kind of nice and it's a little bit counterintuitive, according to the mainstream media. They've tried to paint January 6th as some sort of white supremacist rally. I understand you have a pretty big family and it's a little, uh, well, you have four biracial children. Um, I, it's, uh, it's just a little known fact about all this and I, I, I take it you're the last, uh, the last thing in the world you are is a racist. Oh, I'm most definitely not a racist. I grew up with Hispanics, Latinos, uh, Cambodian, Laos, Vietnamese. I even speak some Khmer, Cambodian, and uh, I've, I'm as diverse as they come. Um, yeah, we're, uh, we're most definitely not. Okay. Anything, I not know. even close to that. I, yeah, beautiful obviously. family, beautiful children. Victoria Thank White, you. stay strong. I have 10 seconds, uh, Joseph. What's next? What's next? What's next with regard to Mrs. White is we're going to advance her case in court. We're going to prove her innocence. We're going to sue the pants off of the U.S. government, and we're, and, and we're going to win. Joseph McBride, Victoria White, thank you so much. To be continued, stay strong. We'll be right back. Okay, President Trump, of course, with Cash Patel, Deputy Assistant to the President for Counterterrorism. I believe that's the Situation Room. Cash Patel also had a senior position at the Pentagon. And guess what? The January 6th committee, it looks like to me they've been harassing him. Uh, they interrogated him for several hours. And Cash joins us right now. Cash Patel, welcome back to Newsmax. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Greg. Cash, you were uh, you were subpoenaed. You cooperated. Uh, what happened? Well, five hours, five plus hours of interrogation later uh, with committee staffers, and we spent more time talking about anything but the January sixth investigation from the Select Committee on January sixth. They had more questions on Afghanistan, Somalia and the color of Canada than they did about January 6th. So not surprising, cost me a fortune in legal fees. And I've been demanding that my transcript be made public because the American public deserves to know what this select committee is doing to people. So 
Why would they ask you about Afghanistan? I mean, obviously, that has nothing to do with January 6th. Like, what, what do you think was going on there? Sedan, Afghanistan, why would they ask about those topics? Uh, don't you know, Greg, that's Washington East for cash. It provides context. It provides context to your state of mind for uh, your actions on January 6th. And by the way, I was the chief of staff for DOD on January 6th, and the Biden inspector general released a report on our actions on January 6th. And do you know what he said? We acted without delay, without politicization, and correctly and appropriately on January 6th. But they didn't care about that. So strange, so strange. So you want the, uh, you want the transcript. You don't have it. Can I ask you something? Would it have been lawful for you to uh, record the proceedings? I mean, we all have uh, iPhones or Androids. These things work great. Could you have recorded it yourself? And if you could have, do you wish you had? <laughs> you know, I guess I would have been pushing the bounds there because with, uh, you know, my old friends, uh, Eric Swalwell and Adam Schiff from Russiagate uh, sitting on that committee, um, you know, what they do is just look for another way to attack me in the media and possibly refer me to the Department of Justice for some made-up crime. So, and this is, what, this is what I fear is happening to so many people who've been subpoenaed by the January 6th committee. And I said, I'd go first and I'd, and I'd pay the freight of the lawyers, uh, which is a fortune, and hopefully people can learn from my experiences by releasing my transcript. Uh, but uh, they, they uh, hemmed and hawed at that. So let's face it, you're being harassed, and so are so many other former Trump administration officials. There is a way you can help Cash and the others. Let's go ahead and put that up. It's called uh, uh, Fight with Cash, fightwithcash.com. And tell us a little bit about it, if you can, please. Yeah, real quick. So after Russiagate, we were defamed. We were deplatformed. So I went on the offense to sue America, to sue the Times, Political, and CNN, and the fake news. Now I'm raising money and bringing lawsuits on behalf of all other Americans who were defamed and deplatformed. We're going to pay for your legal fees. You can reach out to us directly. Check out our website and uh, help us raise money so we can deliver uh, credible reporting in the media like Newsmax and your show does. Um, it's the only way to write the ship. Many thanks. Cash Patel to be continued, former deputy assistant to the president of counterterrorism, former senior de uh, defense department official in the Trump administration. We thank you. Good luck. Fightwithcash.com. Fightwithcash.com. Don't forget. Thank you. We'll be right back. Thank you. Well, thanks a lot. All right. Thanks for your support in 2021. And to be continued next year. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, have a great holiday. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. See you soon. Stinchfield is next.